Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I was a guest on last week's show. I'm the host for this week's show. My name is Ian Fisher, and uh, I want to welcome you all here today for what we've got lined up. I think it's going to be a really terrific show. Um, We are going to talk a little bit later about how to use some of the more under-discussed elements of the common application, your activities lists, your COVID-19 essay section, your um, additional information. We'll also talk a little bit about the CSS profile, which is a really sort of uncommon financial aid form that often goes with the FAFSA, especially for private schools. Uh, But before that, we want to continue the conversations that we have been having around essay supplements. And to do that, we are going to welcome my colleague, Tova Tolman, who's way over at the other corner of the country down in Georgia. Tova, good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Ian. It's good to be here all the way from Georgia. All the way from Georgia. Well, we wanted to, I want to mention that because we are talking about schools in Georgia today. And we are going to focus on the supplements for the University of Georgia, the Go Bulldogs. Go no, dogs. 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 Just dogs. dogs. Bulldogs, yes. They are the but, Bulldogs, but you say dogs. Okay. Dogs. And the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they don't so, say Go Jackets. <laughs> do it, Go Jackets. Um, so let's see. Which, which of these two would you prefer to talk about first? I don't have, I'm not particularly wedded to either of them, but I think they're yeah. both pretty interesting in terms of the way that they use their supplements. So what do you want to start with? Um, I feel really strongly that we start with Georgia, which Let's is start with what Georgia. people call UGA. A lot of people feel pretty strongly about this essay question, um, people that we work with. Uh, and I think that it really comes down to that first sentence in the essay supplement. And it's almost sort of like I don't know what, what these sort of, we're in October, sort of in the Halloween month where you like say something and then it appears like, it really feels like this supplement does that for students. So the first sentence is the college admissions process can create anxiety. I'm anxious already. (laughs) You're anxious already. And then they say in an attempt to make it less stressful, please tell us an interesting or amusing story about yourself from your high school years that you have not already shared in your application and you have about 200 to 350 words for that essay. Now, I don't know, Toba, um, is there another question that you can think of that puts as much pressure on the student as this one that, that basically tells us, tell us an amusing story? Like the pressure, I think, to be amusing can be pretty high. What do you think? I think that's the problem with the way they phrased it right there. They use the word amusing and you immediately can only see that. But they have an or statement there. Tell us an interesting or an amusing statement. You tell me to amuse you, I, I feel super overwhelmed, stressed, and like, oh my gosh, now I have to make you laugh. Right. But they're not saying that. They're saying, please tell us an interesting or amusing story. So I've had some conversations with Georgia admission representatives, and they say, if you're not funny, don't try and be funny. 
this is not an opportunity for everyone to you know, try their bit at standup. It right. can just be something that makes you go, huh? And ideally will make them go, huh? Because you're right. If it's amuse me, I'm panicked and I'm going to sit there blank and looking like a deer in headlights. And I will not be able to come up with anything mildly amusing. So take the pressure off yourself and don't feel like you have to amuse them. This might be your opportunity to be amusing if you have the ability within you though. If you can do that. Yeah. And I think that advice is advice you've been giving me since we've known each other. If you're not funny, don't try to be funny. Just stop it. So um, I love that because I think that actually when we look at a lot of essay supplements, you'll see supplements that have these very long preambles. Maybe they'll have a quote. They'll have this huge statement that is more attributed to sort of the philosophy of the institution. But then when you fundamentally come down to what is the question that's actually being asked here, it sometimes makes it a lot easier for students to sort of address it, right? So you can essentially eliminate that first sentence from your consideration. The college admissions process can create anxiety. Well, let's just get rid of that idea completely. Let's forget in an attempt to make it less stressful because we can't make it less stressful. Let's just look at, please tell us an interesting or amusing story about yourself from your high school years that you have not already shared in your application. Right. Right. So Keep in mind. Go ahead. I was just going to say, until this year, they, Georgia wasn't on the Common App, right? This was their one opportunity sort of for like, tell us a little bit about yourself because they weren't using that main Common App essay. Mm-hmm. This was in a way like, show us your personality, show us something about you that like traditionally the main Common App essay has that opportunity to do. So I don't know if it needs to be something so dramatically different than the way you might approach any old essay where you're just helping a college get to know you. Yeah, I, I wonder about that because I think that while we can't eliminate the preamble, if we want to write, get down to brass tacks and actually answer the question, there is an element of the framing that might suggest, hey, we want a story. But I think that that might send students in the wrong direction that they're thinking about, okay, well, one Friday, you know, my friends and I decided, we, do we want something like that? Or are we looking for something that has the more sort of traditional kind of arc to it? where there's a, an event that happened, it changed my perspective in this kind of way. Like, how would you think about this in comparison to a more traditional personal essay? I think that the takeaway message that's so key in a main personal statement doesn't have to be as prominent here. Gotcha. I, I think if it is just some sort of like, huh, interesting, without a so what, and the so what can maybe be implied that's fine. Whereas okay. how often are we talking again and again about the importance of the so what and why is this matter and, and what, why are you telling me this in the main essay? The I don't know if that's needed as much in this one. This really could just be an opportunity to amuse them. It could be. And I think that yeah. that's, this is about your personality coming out, kind of who you are behind the, yeah. the, the scenes, a little bit of maybe a characteristic that, you know, they point out something that's not already shared in your application. Right. So think about, all right, what have I not shown that might be cool. It might be a place where you can say, oh, I've, got, I've always had an interest in bird watching and I have nowhere to put that in my application. I'm going to put that in there. Or I love baking cakes. So I want to talk about that. I mean, you can do things like that. I think you don't want to go super trivial, but this is inviting you, I think, to have an opportunity to really yeah. bring yourself forward. All right, let's I think this about- is your chance. I know you want to go into Georgia Tech. I'm not done with, with the dogs yet. Okay. Sorry. One more piece, because in conversations with their counselors, they emphasize how much the essay really can matter in terms of swaying personal opinion of how just how much they like the kid, how much they like the student. And I think this is the essay is a chance for you to make that just really likable, approachable human piece to your application. 
in their holistic review sort of parameters and rubric, they have a lot of extra points for just professional opinion, aka, you know, what the admission counselor wants to do. And I just really like this kid. I want to admit them. There's a lot of room for that in the Georgia process. And I think that this essay can really sway that opinion. That's it. Okay. All I want to add. Sorry. Are you done? I am. Okay. So let's talk about, no, I think that's great. Actually, this really terrific insight is just hearing a little bit about how the actual admission officers use this. And hopefully that helps you to get a good sense for how to approach Georgia. Now with Georgia Tech, um, we are really looking at something that's, I think, unusual with Georgia Tech, um, given how selective they are. They are a pretty selective institution. Um, And the fact that they are on the Common App, they have announced that they are not, not considering your Common App essay. So Can I read their language for that? Because I think Please. it's so funny. It's, yeah, so, it. it's so technical of an institute of technology. If submitted, we will not consider this essay as part of your application review. Like they could not make that more explicitly clear. They right. are not looking at that main essay. So I would almost not consider this a supplement because a supplement goes along with something else. Yeah. This is really the Georgia Tech essays. Um, you have two essays that you get to write. You get some flexibility in terms of a choice here. Let's start with the one where you don't have a choice. Sure. Um, they ask, why do you want to study your chosen major specifically at Georgia Tech? And I think, Tova, that a lot of students might have an instinct to want to reuse an essay that they've already written about a particular right. area of interest. How do you think that that might work for students as they think about this particular question for this particular school? Poorly is okay. how I think that would work. Okay. So what would you recommend important. instead? Uh, answering the question they ask, which is why Georgia Tech, right? Yeah. It's not just why that major, why this major at Tech. Might you premise it and why you're interested in this particular field of study? Sure. But then, okay, you can study that probably at a whole wide variety of different schools. Why do you want to study it at Georgia Tech? Is it their puppy day during finals? That's why I want to go to Georgia Tech. <laughs> Uh, is, you know, what is it about their professors? What is it about their faculty? What is it about the research that's happening at that school? What is it about the resources and facilities or whatever it might be for you, the puppies? Why this at Georgia Tech? Gotcha. So without that specificity, it's just a missed opportunity. And I, I think you're absolutely right. This is only a 300 word essay. So it right. is quite short. And I think that you know, why this college essays can be anywhere from 100 to 650 words, typically. What I've seen a lot of students try to do with Georgia Tech is they'll take sort of the foundation, a 200 word chunk of a, of let's say a computer science essay, and then they'll add a third short paragraph of 100 words that's about Georgia Tech. And I think what you're suggesting, what I would, why would suggest as well, is that that's not going to work for this school. That really the whole bulk of your 300 word essay needs to be about Georgia Tech. It can't be CS plus a little bit about the school here. It's got to be from the start about Georgia Tech and its specific methods for engaging with that that particular major. Um, How would you recommend that a student go about doing research to figure out how to write this piece? Well, the part that that you asked in your question is part of the answer is is that they have to actually go and do the research. How do we do the research? Sure. We can talk about that, but like, I don't want to skip over that important part of it. They have to actually do research. It can't just be like, Oh, I want to apply George Tech. Why? So where do they find the answers to some of that? There's a lot actually on a school's website beyond the front page. I think students will go to click on academics, list of programs, great, they have my program. Maybe they scroll to the bottom of that page and then that's it. 
If you actually click into a particular department, you can get far beyond the hood and or under the hood and mm-hmm. actually under the hood and look to see what are faculty researching? What are their bios? Are there interviews provided on the website with different faculty members? Speaking to current students in that department and asking them, well, what are you doing? What research are you involved in? Did you get involved in anything already your first year, your sophomore year? Who's teaching your courses? What are the average class sizes within that particular department, not just the larger university? Those stats are easy to find, but schools or department-specific ones are going to require a little more research. Looking to see through the Career Development Office website within that particular school, what are students within this particular major doing afterwards? And essentially getting under the hood of that particular school's website is pretty valuable as is talking with current students. Yeah. I think that by saying they really are, are helpful here. It's not just a why Georgia tech. It's a, why do you want to study your chosen major? And so if you are looking to do research, go straight to the page for that major and start clicking around and finding some information there. Um, I think that it's better to focus on sort of overall, what's the message that you're getting about the particular approach to education that they take at that, at that school rather than I want to take this class with this professor, which shows me only that you looked up that class, unless you've got something deeper to say about it. So while it can be helpful to be specific, I think you don't want to be so specific that you miss the forest for the trees. Mm -hmm. Now we've got only about three more minutes, Tova. So I do want to come up to these other two questions. And what I would say is that you've got sort of one that is very much open-ended. If you feel that your personal or community background could provide additional insights to your application, please share it here, which I think feels a lot like the first prompt for the common app, except that you get only 300 words. Right. The other is Georgia Tech is committed to creating solutions to some of the world's most pressing challenges. Tell us how you have improved or hope to improve the human condition in your community. And I really want to focus on that one. I think that our listeners can go back into the archives and listen a little bit more to just general essays and personal statements. Mm -hmm. But with respect to this idea about the human condition and community, how would you encourage students to think about this? And is there sort of a, a test that they can give themselves to think about whether this is the right essay for them to approach? Um, do they have to have had a certain kind of experience or could this work for everyone? Or could this work for everyone? I don't think that there's a narrow window as to what kind of problem you might have fixed that has to fit into this particular slice. Mm -hmm. But with that said, as broad as it could be, I don't know that this necessarily works for everyone. I think a lot of students are going to get to this one and say, I don't know, I haven't fixed a whole lot of problems yet. Mm -hmm. just starting out and fixing the problems or, you know, after a little bit of reflection, they might think of something that might be able to work here. And I think that there's a lot of room for creativity. It doesn't necessarily have to be, well, that gadget that I was using didn't work. So I engineered a new arm robotically that came out and fixed it. I don't think that's necessarily what they're talking about or what it has to be. And that's why they use the words human condition. So I think that there are broad applications for how this could work, but I don't think that everyone is going to have necessarily something to write for that or that feels authentic. And this is what's key that tech puts in their own guidance. If you look on their site as Mm -hmm. to what they're recommending that they say is, don't write what you think we want to read. Write, write what you want to say. Right. I mean, that's right there. I mean, I don't know why you brought me on here. We could just pull up the <laughs> website and share the screen and say, well, do your research. What, yeah. Yeah. Here's what tech says they want. And basically they want authenticity and self-awareness. If you're going to be self-aware and realize, you know, what have I done so far in terms of real problem solving? Use this other prompt. That's okay. It's not like they're preferring one over the other. 
so I would, I would take their advice to heart and think about some self-awareness and authenticity and write really mm-hmm. who you are, what you want to say not what you think they want to hear. No, I think that's right. I think you take a look at these two options and you say, okay, what do I most want to share given this essay? And if it's something that fits into the box of that human condition improvement and community, then write it with that lens. If it doesn't fit there, then approach the second topic. I think you've got a lot of flexibility. Um, Tova, thank you for talking to me about Georgia Tech. I got one other question for you. Mm. Are you on Instagram? Um, I, I, am I on Instagram? Yeah. Are you sure. on Instagram? Yeah. Uh, I think. Great. I think... So is college coach there. There we are right there. Oh, yeah. And, um, I wanted to point out actually that you can follow us on Instagram at college coach BH. We are doing a giveaway to celebrate our 300th episode and Tova, I don't think you're eligible for this. Um, but that's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, you can go and write a review of this podcast, which I know that you love because you listen to us all the time. You can write a review of our podcast and then your name will be entered to get two hours of counseling with one of our experts, which is a really great deal. All you have to do is say some nice things to us on Apple podcasts. Uh, we'll take note of your name and then we will let you know if you win. So, uh, Tova, thanks for coming on the show. You're not eligible. Don't I know you're excited. You got your fingers crossed, but um, I'm sorry. But thank you for coming on uh, for today. Uh, and <laughs> I folks, think I have to end by saying go dogs. Go dogs. Georgia now. Go dogs. <laughs> and, and when we come back, we will be talking about some of the lesser focused uh, elements of the common application. Don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Good afternoon, folks. Welcome back to the show. We just had a great segment with Tova Tolman talking all about the public universities in Georgia, University of Georgia, Georgia Tech, and how to approach their supplements with the Common App. Now, for our next segment, we want to stick with the Common App, but what we want to focus on are some of the lesser utilized components of the application, or at least I would say the space where students have the most opportunity to be able to improve the quality of their application. And to talk about these different elements of the application, I'd like to bring onto the show my colleague here in Portland, Christine Sawicki. Hey, Christine. Hi, Ian. Hey, great to have you. So you told me that one of your goals is to come on the radio show a little bit more often. And you thought you would start with this particular segment because you love this stuff. You are really into the activities list and the honors and awards section. 
and just all of the other things I think in the common app that people don't usually think about or ask about because they're so focused on the essay. They're so focused on the supplements. Why do you like the activities list so much? Um, I think the activities list is perhaps the most underutilized space within the common app. Um, the way that common app presents the activities list, it feels really administrative and students typically have just finished filling out the profile and the education section. And so they're in the mindset of administrative. Uh, the boxes are small, there's drop down menus, um, but that activities list having reviewed uh, applications on the, the other side um, is as important, if not even more important in some cases, than the actual personal essay. Mm -hmm. uh, so I love helping students put on the brakes when they get to that activity section and really think strategically about how to use the fairly limited space uh, to really let their involvement outside of the classroom shine. And I think it's kind of a fun puzzle to use that limited space uh, to do so. And I love that you're sort of going through the actual user experience of the Common App, because if you go in there, you're going to see some info on profile and education and family. And it just feels like, okay, I know the answer to these, to these questions. I'm just going to type in my dad's name and where my dad works, or I'm going to enter in where my mom went to school. And then it, you come to the activity section and it looks like more of the same. Oh, you know, what's the first activity that I was involved in? I guess I'll just enter that in. And what you're saying is that this is something that really is more qualitative than students think about. And it's an opportunity for them to really make an impact. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about the activities list, because there was a slight change this year to how students were able to present information. You get 50 characters to describe your role or title within a particular activity. You get 100 characters to name that activity. You have to choose what type of activity it is from a drop-down list. Again, that's a sort of data entry component that you're talking about. But I think that the space where there maybe is the most opportunity is in the details. You get 150 characters, not words, but 150 characters to describe your activity. So in total, Christine, there are 300 characters that students get to use here. How should they think strategically about using those 300 characters? Um, is there a way to think about them as one collective group? rather than thinking about them as separate entities? How, how do you advise students to think strategically about this? I actually think you said it exactly, is to not think about it as separate boxes, but to think of them as working together. You have one entry that will flow with all of the boxes and the drop-down menus together. And so I think the first tip that I would give to students is to reduce redundancy across those entry boxes. So often there's redundancy, which takes away the characters that you have. Um, varsity tennis captain will be your title. And then you start your description. Uh, I'm on the varsity tennis team and am captain. <laughs> I already know that from the previous box. You can just jump in at that description point with what you did on that team and in that role. That's right. And so when we think about, all right, I've got my title, I've got the name of the organization. What about this details section? I think students often get tripped up here and there can be places where maybe they've got tons of details they want to include. There might be others where let's say I played on the baseball team for two years. I didn't win any awards. I might not have details. How, how would students sort of think about using that? Do you always put something in the details section and what goes there? Yes, I would encourage to always have something there. Um, oh, okay. And I think it's important to start with uh, thinking about your pinnacle 
achievement or accomplishment uh, within that given activity. Uh, did you make it to the um, district competition? Did you get third place? Did you um, get something published? Think about what the pinnacle moment of the activity is, and that tends to be a good lead uh, to start that description. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, you can think of secondary and tertiary uh, points to bring in uh, of accomplishment. I also think that some activities don't have a pinnacle achievement. And in that case, the description can be a little bit more qualitative in terms of uh, kind of impact from a qualitative standpoint of what you you did um, uh, brought a cheerful enthusiasm to each club meeting, for example. Yeah, of course, that's the example you choose, the cheerful enthusiasm. I don't know why, but um, for those of you who can't see Christine, she's got a big smile right now. So cheerful enthusiasm, a little bit more of that character and personality might come through. Yeah. And I think most students approach the activities list in a really dry kind of official or professional resume type voice, which is often very effective to deliver a lot of content within the activities list. But if you can spice up with a little bit of personality or a little exclamation point somewhere in there, um, it it wakes up an admission officer on the other end. And I always appreciate it if a student was funny, there may be a little quip within one of the descriptions or um, if a student is um, uh, genuinely a smiley, happy person to use that exclamation point in there to to make a point. Um, It is an opportunity to not just look objectively at what you've done, but provide the meaning of that activity to you. Now, when I was talking to Tova in the last segment, we were talking a little bit about the Georgia essay and how they have this word of amusing an admission officer and that some students might not feel like they can be amusing and it maybe doesn't fit for them to try to be funny in this space. Are there students who are sort of better disposed to be creative in this particular space? Would you tell some students to, to sort of play it more by the book? Like how should, how should students think about bringing themselves into this activities list? given the narrow window of space that's provided? Yeah, Uh, I think authenticity in any spot within the application is absolutely essential. So if you are not funny, it is not the time to make your first (laughs) joke in your your activities list. Um, But I think there can be, for students that might be a little bit shyer in bringing that forward, um, you can use this Um, I guess in a little bit of a more strategic way. For example, I was working with a student who tutored uh, once a week for one hour. It was not a big commitment, um, uh, but it was really meaningful to her. And she really loved that hour uh, that she got to sit down. And so she added just a little small phrase at the end of her description, best part of my week, exclamation point. And all of a sudden that. that activity that would have just been, oh, a little thing, had the spotlight on it of being really meaningful to her. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, And I think you can look for places to do that. Uh, You can try and bring a little bit about how you actually feel about these activities, especially in ones where you don't have a longer description. Now, Christine, there will be some activities where a student might have a lot of awards or they might have won some recognition. And I want to bring in now the other segment of this common app that I think gets even less focused in the activities list, which is the awards and honor section. Now, in that particular space, you can list up to five awards or honors, and you have 100 characters to provide a description. You can also indicate whether that award or honor was won at the 
school level, the regional level, the state level, the national level, or the international level. So there's a way of sort of designating um, how you won that award. How would you encourage students to think about the awards or honors that they've won for activities that they participate in? Um, If I was the state champion for debate, should that go in my activities description or should I put that in the awards and honors section? Uh, the activity section. Um, okay. well, a definitive. <laughs> Usually it's, it depends, but you just, okay. No. Um, if uh, you have an award that's associated with an extracurricular activity, I think it is most powerful when it is in the description in the activity section. Okay. Because an admission officer, when they're trying to understand what you do outside of the classroom and the impact that you've made, they go to the activity section to find that. So um, that being in the right space has added um, uh, visibility and power. The honors section, um, I think, is very intentionally not in the activity section, but it's in the education section Mm. of the Common App. And so uh, the honors uh, and awards there um, are designed to be a place to report those that are... within the academic space, not the extracurricular space. So common things there are National Merit Semifinalist, AP Scholar, Scholastic Key Awards, um, if your school awards a History Student of the Year, something like that, you can go there. Right. What about, um, I'll give you an example. Uh, Let's say that I played on the baseball team. I played on the baseball team. That's why I'm using this example. Um, Let's say I played on the baseball team and I was a scholar athlete. Right. So my school gives these awards to whoever has above a certain GPA and plays varsity sports. Um, is that something that I could put in my acti- award section? And let's assume that I'm also a really good baseball player. I wasn't, but let's assume that I won all states and I was, you know, had all these awards that filled my activity section. Could I then put that in the award section? What do you think about that flexibility? Good question. Um, There is definitely some flexibility. Um, I would be inclined to advise to put the Scholar Athlete Award in the academic or academic honors section um, uh, there because it has that academic education component to it. Um, One uh, activity that I see often in both places to illustrate the flexibility is the National Honor Society, which is definitely an academic award, but it has this volunteering activity component. And I think um, this is where students can be a little bit strategic, thinking about how much space they have within their activities list, what they want to prioritize. Um, It sometimes makes sense to have it in the honors section, uh, but if that volunteering with NHS was very meaningful to you, helps fill out your activities list, it might make more sense to put it Yeah. If you led a couple of service projects, if you had a leadership role, maybe you're going to put that in the activity section. But if you were just elected to NHS and you showed up for a couple of meetings and maybe did a couple of things, it might be better to put that in the awards and honors section. Um, You mentioned space, running out of space. And I think just one thing that I want to sort of highlight here is how important it is to take a global view of everything is to say, okay, I've got all this great stuff. What's the best place to put it in given the limited space that I have? And that way it's a little bit of a puzzle. Um, There is also this additional information section. And I think when you were at Stanford, I would imagine you had a lot of students that filled up their activities list all the way to the gills. And then maybe they had more info that they wanted to put in that additional info section. When is it appropriate for students to 
add additional content that they couldn't fit into their activities list into that additional info? And is that a good choice for students that might have 11 or 12 activities that they really want to share? Yeah, great, great question. Um, there's a little bit of an it depends, I think, around Good, okay. This. We got an it depends, the first one for this week's show, but we'll get one, you know, I'm sure there'll be another. Continue. Um, I do think it is appropriate that if the space for 10 in the activities isn't sufficient, it is okay to roll over into the activity section. However, it is important to be as succinct with the delivery of the activities in the additional info that you Mm -hmm. would as though it were placed um, within the activities boxes. Um, I think the quickest way to annoy an admission officer is to paste another essay <laughs> into the oh, additional gosh. information yes. section. Right. So you definitely want to be targeted with what you bring. Um, I think that from my experience at Stanford, that space is most utilized to actually go deeper within right. one activity. So if research is where they're excelling, to maybe provide a little bit more context as to the impact that that research project has made. And there's something very interesting, actually, I've I've watched a couple of um, admission officers sort of speaking to the application in their current role as admission officers. And one of the constant refrains I hear is, tell us whatever you need to know, like, this is your space, use the additional info. And I recall doing that as well when I was an admission officer. Now that I'm on this side of the desk, I advise students to use the additional info more sparingly. And I think that's because even as an AO, while I would encourage the use of that, I was only really doing it because I wanted to read some of the good stuff, but when students showed bad judgment in terms of how they use the additional info, or if there was redundancy there, or they uploaded a resume that said all the same stuff that they already said in their activities list, it didn't necessarily reflect well on that student. And so there is a difference, I think, between what admissions offices are saying about what you should share and what is probably the best idea for you in a given circumstance. Yeah, I I think that's a a good observation. And the way that I think about it is that you don't want to dilute where you are shining brightest. And I think Mm -hmm. some students in trying to get in everything, um, dampen um, what, where the spotlight should be. I think that's a, that's a great point. Um, One other thought, I just want to get this one out about the activities list. Do you have to use full complete sentences? Do you have to, can you abbreviate things? What about punctuation? Any thoughts on that? (laughs) Yeah, um, that's actually a second tip that I like to give to the activities (laughs) list is um, a, strategy uh, to get in that 150 characters is to write in phrases with strong verbs, typically leading each phrase, um, led, organized, developed, published, those kinds of things. Um, And then some students like to use semicolons, some like to use commas between those phrases. Pick your favorite punctuation and just be consistent throughout. Be consistent throughout. And I think one other little tip there is if you're going to use some sort of an abbreviation, make sure that that's an abbreviation that an admission officer is familiar with. You can absolutely write NHS. You can write DECA. But if you have some local abbreviation that you will use within your school that I'm not going to know as an admission officer all the way across the country, make sure that you define that. Um, Maybe in the name of the organization, uh, that 100-character space or wherever else it may be. But you have to make sure that someone who doesn't have your same experiences can understand completely what you're saying with your activities list. Um, Christine, are there any final tips, any like little magic tricks or secrets that you have, or is this just sort of a space where you think students should have a lot of fun and and be themselves? Yeah, um, I guess my last tip is your personal essay is going to go through lots of revisions. You're going to have someone read it over. You're going to let it rest and revisit and hone it. 
this activities list is not different from that. Uh, um, treat it with that same care and thought uh, that you do your personal lesson. And Christine, I think you're one of the very best that we have and, and that I've seen in terms of understanding and unpacking the activities list. So um, I think that's a great piece of advice for, for families to think about. So, hey, you've been on the radio show. Maybe we'll get you back here again sometime soon. Hopefully it was a, it was a good experience. Thank you, Ian. All right, folks, when we come back, we are going to talk a little bit about that CSS profile, the financial aid form that many schools are asking for. So you won't want to miss it. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. It's been a a really great uh, episode of Getting In so far, and I would encourage you, if you're just watching one of our Skype videos, uh, to go on back and have a look at another video uh, to see all of the segments from today because they've been really great. And this one will also be excellent, I have no doubt. Um, We are talking about financial aid forms, and I think that the most common phrase when we talk financial aid is FAFSA. But there is another form that is out there that we want to talk through for today, because I think a lot of families are going to encounter it when they're applying for financial aid this fall. And joining me to talk about this new and special, I guess it's not new, um, is Stacy McFeeters. Hey, Stacy, welcome back to the show. Hey, and thanks so much. Yeah, definitely not new. <laughs> not new. I knew no, they were no. using it back at Reed when I was at Reed in the late 2000s. So it's been around for quite a while. And we're talking yeah, about the College Scholarship Service CSS. CSS, yep, profile. Profile. And people just call this the profile. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is often, is there ever a case where the profile is required, but not the FAFSA? For for college review, absolutely not. The the FAFSA is the primary form that's always required. The profile is usually the sort of secondary optional form. Gotcha. Okay. So let's just start with the, the profile as a, a form on its own, given that it, it might show up here or there. And we can talk a little bit about that. It's usually going to go along. It's always going to go along with the FAFSA when it does. So when is it available? Um, and, and how do families know if they're required to complete it for any of their schools? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like it's, it's uh, application counterpart, the FAFSA, the profile is officially available today. So October 1st of the senior year for students awesome. who are applying for next year. Yep. That's exciting. Yeah, I it mean, is. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Yeah. For <laughs> In people world, like it's me, exciting. It's awesome. <laughs> we have families yeah. there. Well, it's it's a, it's great because it can help with aid, right? Like the Correct. idea is that you fill these forms out. It's a way to help make college more affordable. So that yeah, is exciting. absolutely. Yep. 
And then, so how do you know if you're required to complete it? Like, how can you figure out whether this is something you're going to have to end up doing? Yep. So really what I encourage families to do when they have their finite list of schools to which the student is applying or, or some semblance of a list, you're always going to have that checklist that tells you when the application is due and what's required from the admission perspective. My piece of advice is put the same sort of spreadsheet together for uh, college finance or financial aid. You want to check to see what the deadlines are. Are there special deadlines for ED and EA? Um, what forms are required? And it's that what forms are required section that is going to tell you whether or not a college requires the profile. Um, in, in sort of quick, short form, the profile is required by about 300 colleges, universities, oh, wow. and scholarship programs. Okay. Um, often we say that it tends to be more private colleges and universities. Uh, who have more money to spend, but that's not always true. We do have some public schools like University of Virginia, mm. uh, gosh, University of Michigan, UNC Chapel Hill, who also require profile. Gotcha. So don't want people to make that assumption, but just know that it's about 300 college, university, and scholarship programs. And, and I think that this can be a thing where if you're a parent and you want to find a way to help support your student, they say, hey, I've got this application stuff. I'm working on my essays. I know my deadlines. This is a space where you can create your spreadsheet. You can go and look at all of the schools. You can start doing something to help support this process as well. Mm -hmm. um, so there's some, some great, I think, teamwork that can be done here 100%. where parents are looking at the, the uh, financial aid piece and students are looking at the college admissions piece. Okay. Um, why would a college want the profile? I mean, they've already got the FAFSA. So yep. what's the difference between, between one form and the other? Great question. So the FAFSA tends to be fairly straightforward. Now, for families who've never completed it, you know, I, I'm avoiding using the word fairly simple because for families who haven't done it, I'm sure they don't feel that way. Yeah. However, it's pretty straightforward. They're going to ask uh, biographical information. They're going to ask income and asset questions for both parents and students. And that's kind of it. So the FAFSA is going to give you this EFC or expected family contribution that is somewhat reflective of what the family can contribute. Um, profile digs deeper. So what schools use it for is very often schools are going to make very significant contributions of their own funds mm -hmm. to help meet families' financial need. Mm -hmm. So when they're awarding money, they're going to award federal aid, state aid, but a lot of money's coming from the schools. It's those schools that are very generous with their money that tend to require profile. And the reason they do is they're going to dig a little bit deeper to see what the family's real ability to contribute is so that when they give their money away, they give it to the families that need it the most. So they're going to go a little deeper than the FAFSA. They're going to ask some more detailed questions that are not asked on the FAFSA. And then they're even going to ask some that are on the FAFSA and maybe go a little deeper. Um, in, it's sort of into detail. And I can give you a couple of tips on that if you'd like, or we can kind yeah, of- well one of the things that I've always just understood about these two forms is that FAFSA is very heavily income driven because it's based primarily on the prior prior year tax returns. Correct. And I've always sort of thought the profile is incorporates some more asset based information 100%. on there. And you're saying that there is some income stuff, but this is basically the differences between income only versus income and assets. Does that sound right? Uh, it's close. So FAFSA okay. is going to ask both income and asset questions and their formula uses both. So that, that happens. Okay. The same is definitely true on the profile. They're going to ask the income questions, and generally, they're going to assess income the same way. They're going to ask, ask asset questions, and they're also going to assess them in a similar way, but they're actually going to go deeper on the assets. So when you look okay. at FAFSA, they're really looking for liquid assets, cash, checking, savings, stock, investments, things like that. Okay. Profile is going deeper. Profile is going to ask what 
uh, is the equity available in your home? That's excluded mm-hmm. on FAFSA. They're going to ask if your family owns a business or a farm. Also generally excluded on FAFSA. Hmm. Um, So they're going to go a little deeper and they're going to look a little bit further into the asset question than the FAFSA does. Gotcha. So, so what are some of these, you said that there were some tips that you might have for how to fill out that uh, CSS profile. Mm -hmm. What are some suggestions that you might make for families as they're sitting down to start to work on this thing today? So I think a couple of things um, in, in, you know, because as you've probably heard us say, we're going to be looking at some of the same questions. I usually will tell families when you know you have to tackle both, you're always doing the FAFSA. When you know you have to tackle both, start with a profile. Hmm. Why is that? It's a little more detailed. You have to answer every question on the profile, which means you're going to need to have your tax returns. You're going to need to have your W-2s. You're probably going to need some asset information. When you flip over to the FAFSA, a couple of things. They're not going to ask as much. They have the opportunity for you to interface with the IRS um, so if you can do that, you don't even have to have completed those um, income questions. Um, so it's sort of that tackle the harder piece first, then gotcha. you know you've done it and you've got the information you need to do the FAFSA second. So that's one of the things that I generally will tell folks is start with profile if you have to do it. Yeah. And then you can sort of really simply pivot over to the FAFSA. You, then you're going to feel like the FAFSA is a piece of cake. And am I right in assuming that any school that has the profile is, it's not going to be optional. If profile is something that that school uses, then it's going to be required if you want to apply for financial aid of any kind. Generally, yes. Um, If they require it, they generally are absolutely going to want it. But there's a couple of little things that I want to bring to mind. Um, There are times where families might say, we know we're not going to qualify. We don't want to provide all that information. We just want the student loans. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, or we just want to be reviewed for federal aid. If that's the case, schools may be willing to waive the profile if they know that that's the only consideration you want. School by school, you'd have to talk to them. Okay. The other sort of thing, not exactly the question you asked, but I want to make sure we cover it, is... um, little complicated, but the FAFSA really is going to work with the custodial parent or work with the custodial parent household information. That's all they want. When schools require the profile, it's not uncommon for them to also say, we want the custodial household profile. Mm-hmm. We're also going to want the non-custodial profile, custodial okay. household profile. So it's it's possible that there will be two separate forms completed by either household. Um, so when they do require that, the, the, the profile, there can be a requirement for a non-custodial parent. And one last piece to this, a lot of schools that use profile will also require you to submit some documentation, sometimes tax returns, sometimes other things. And they use a system called IDOC, which is also a college board, college scholarship service document. So t- sometimes you'll see that they'll require all of those pieces and parts. So I wanted to make sure to mention that. So it can be a little bit complicated. Gotcha. There's a, a little bit more going on with the profile. And that's that's part of the reason it sounds like that you're, you're saying start with that because yep. the complexity will only sort of decrease as you work your way through the FAFSA. Yep. Um, this is complex. I mean, there's a lot of different pieces and it sounds like the profile almost gives a a more full picture of potential finances that might be connected to a family or to a student, even when we're talking custodial versus non-custodial. Yep. Um, Does the profile change an award significantly? And does it always make the award less? I mean, I, 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 I think a lot of families would assume, well, you're looking at more of my information. It's going to mean that I'm going to qualify for less, less money at the, in the end. How, How does that play out in reality? 
you've been hanging around with us a long time, Ian. Um, <laughs> the reality is no, absolutely not. Okay. So in full disclosure, I worked at um, three schools, all of which required profile. And a lot of times we were using profile um, to make sure. So we were a meet need school in one case. Um, and so what we wanted to do was make sure that when we were using our resources, we were absolutely providing the family with every possible um, dollar that we could of our own dollars. Mm-hmm. Using the uh, profile also allowed us to make sure we truly understood a family circumstances. If a family owned a business or a farm, we needed to know that maybe there were losses there and we were going to bring that into consideration. In a divorce separated parent situation, bringing the non-custodial parent into play sometimes tells us, wow, the resources aren't what we thought they were here. Mm. Um, not only that, but as I mentioned earlier, a lot of times the 300 schools and programs that use profile are those schools that tend to meet full need or award a lot of their own institutional funds. Um, so they really are digging pretty deep and have some latitude in their policies. So they might say, we're looking at home equity and maybe a family's only significant asset is that home equity. They might Mm -hmm. then say, oh, we're not going to use all of that. We're going to cap some of that. Mm -hmm. Schools have a lot of latitude when using profile because it's really how determining how they spend their money. So there's a lot of sort of different play, uh, things at play. I want to go back to that non-custodial parent form briefly, just because I've, I've heard a lot of conversation about that. And I think they're usually one of those extenuating circumstances we would hear from families is I just can't get in touch with the non-custodial parent, or there's no way that she or he is going to fill out this form for me. Yep. Um, yep. What happens in cases like that with the profile? So most schools will have a policy around the non-custodial parent, whether it's you know unwillingness, unable, maybe they never were a part of the student's life. So there is mm-hmm. always some sort of recourse. Most schools will allow you to complete some sort of a appeal or waiver form, um, Explain the circumstances. Most schools are extraordinarily flexible and, and, and recognize this is the situation and they will they will be pretty pretty flexible around that question. And then one of the things that you always say that I'm going to say this time is just be in touch with these financial aid offices. 100%. You know, email them, give them a call, uh, talk about your case, ask questions. It's really important to communicate. Yep. Um, for those families who maybe have done the profile in prior years for other students and are coming back to the profile this year, um, or maybe they've been doing it just for one student again and again, um, are there changes from, from prior years for this yeah. year? Yep. So the one change that's significant, and, it, and it's something that I think is really important to note, is this year Profile is asking a question about COVID in mm-hmm. any uh, financial circumstances that your family may have encountered as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. That's good. This is super important. Yeah. Um, you may recall from past conversations we've had about the FAFSA, the FAFSA doesn't allow families to explain anything other than the questions that are asked. The profile does. And in this year, it feels like it's in two ways. One, there's a special circumstance box where you can freeform enter some information. And two, um, they are specifically asking if your family has been affected by COVID. This is where you as a family can share that information on a form. I always suggest you follow up with additional uh, documentation directly to the school, like you just said, communicating directly with schools, but you do have the opportunity to let them know that something has affected your family as a result of COVID in that particular question. That's great. I think an appropriate change for 2020, given everything that's going on this year, it's, it's nice to see that the profile is stepping in and helping to support families in this way. Agreed. Um, Stacy, thanks so much for coming on the show and, My pleasure. and talking us through the profile. It's, it's always a pleasure uh, to have that conversation. Absolutely. Thanks, Ian. 
All right, folks, that does it for today's show. And I hope that you've enjoyed the conversation that we've had today. I certainly have enjoyed all three conversations. Uh, We'll be back next week and Beth's going to be hosting the show. They'll dive into supplemental essays for Ivy League schools. They're going to talk a little bit about how many schools to apply to and how balanced the list can be from the admission standpoint, and then how to balance the list from a financial standpoint as well. So really great dual segment coming up next week. Uh, Hope you all have a lovely October. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll look forward to seeing you back here next week. Take care.